Hello, it's Wednesday, the 28th of December, and welcome to Korea 24. I'm your host, Kwon Jang-woo. South Korea's first lunar orbiter, Danuri, has successfully entered the moon's orbit, making Korea only the seventh country to achieve that feat. We'll have more details in news briefing shortly. The government recently revised down its economic growth outlook for 2023 to 1.6%. We take a closer look at that forecast for an end-of-year weekly economy review today. And then coming up for Korea Book Club, we discuss Chung Serang's hit work, 50 People, and our critic Beth's favourite book of the year. We have all that and more on today's Career 24. It's official. South Korea's first unmanned lunar orbiter, Tanuri, has successfully entered the moon's orbit. And this comes just six months after the nation successfully launched a satellite using a domestically developed rocket for the first time as well. Our KBS World Radio News Editor, Koo Hee-jin, joins us in the studio now to give us the details of South Korea's latest push to venture into space, as well as our other headlines of the day. Hee-jin, hello. Hello, jang So South Korea launched Tanuri nearly five months ago now on the Falcon 9 rocket developed by the U.S. uh, aerospace company SpaceX. Now that it has reached the moon and successfully entered its orbit, which was uh, said to be one of the trickiest parts of the journey, it will embark on a year-long mission to collect lunar surface data. Mm -hmm. So what can you tell us about the lunar insertion? Well, the Science Ministry and the Korea Aerospace Research Institute confirmed on Wednesday that Danuri achieved lunar orbit on Tuesday, 145 days after taking off from the Cape Canaveral Space Force Station in Florida. Tanuri conducted its third and final lunar orbit insertion, or LOI, manoeuvre to enter the moon's orbit at around 11.06am on Monday. Kari had initially planned to conduct five LOIs, but needed just three to lower the speed of the spacecraft while committing it to the gravity of the moon to orbit at an altitude of 100 kilometres. Tanuri is achieving full orbit around the moon every two hours. President Yoon Seong-yeol celebrated Tanuri's success, touting the excellence of the Asian nation's new space and science technology and stated that it is yet again carved out a place in history in its bid to become one of the world's seven powerhouses in space. Seoul, earlier this month, unveiled plans to gradually increase its annual space programme budget from 734 billion won this year to 1.5 trillion won in 2027 and more than 2.1 trillion won in the 2030s. It is aiming to launch a manned spaceship by 2050. Yes, it's uh, great to hear. And also, it's quite impressive to hear uh, that Tanuri's journey has been so smooth and we look forward to the pictures it will send of the moon soon. Turning to inter-Korean tensions now, President Yoon Sang-yeol urged unequivocal retribution against North Korea's hostile actions, instructing his top national security aides to strike back against any provocation without hesitation or regard for the North's nuclear arsenal. This, of course, comes after South Korea failed to intercept North Korean drones earlier this week. Can you tell us more on the fallout from that blunder? Well, during a meeting with his advisers and aides on national security held in Yongsan District on Seoul, in Seoul on Wednesday, Yoon urged unequivocal retribution, saying this would act as the best suppression for any provocation. Yoon's remark comes after he reprimanded top brass for their inadequate readiness in the wake of the North Korean drones breaching South Korean airspace on Monday and ordered uh, disproportionate measures against such incursions. According to a senior official at the top office on Wednesday, the president reproached Defence Minister Lee Jong-sup the previous day for failing to draw up appropriate measures in spite 
light of similar incidents that had occurred in the past. The president also ordered the military to deploy two to three drones north of the military demarcation line for every North Korean drone that crosses into sovereign airspace and to shoot them down if necessary. He then called for an acceleration of existing plans to set up an exclusive drone unit within the military during uh, Tuesday's cabinet meeting. Meanwhile, South Korea has plans to upgrade and modernize its military and the defense ministry. A mid-term plan calls for an average annual increase of 6.8% in the military budget for the next five years. This comes after the opposition-controlled National Assembly slashed the military budget for 2023. Uh, what more on this do you have for us? Well, the Defence Ministry said on a Wednesday that it will need some 331.4 trillion won for the five-year period from 2023 through 2027. Of the total, 107.4 trillion won will go towards upgrading defence capabilities, while an additional 224 trillion won is allocated for managing troops, equipment and facilities. The military will also acquire additional stealth jets to enhance strike capabilities against moving targets and tactical surface-to-surface missiles and acquire mid-sized submarines equipped with ballistic missiles. The military plans to complete the deployment of Chungung-2 medium-range surface-to-air missiles and advanced long-range surface-to-air missile interceptors in the cited timeframe. The budget plans reflect escalating tensions on the peninsula amid uh, North Korea's refusal to talk about denuclearization. And according to official state reports, North Korean leader Kim Jong-un on Tuesday announced plans to bolster the country's defence capabilities even further next year. Can you tell us more? Well, according to the North state-run Korean Central News Agency on Wednesday, Kim made the announcement during the sixth plenary meeting of the 8th Central Committee of the Workers' Party, which convened for a second day on Tuesday. During that meeting, Kim reportedly presented new key goals for 2023 to bolster the nation's self-defence capabilities to deal with the changing situation on the Korean Peninsula. Without elaborating on the key goals, the report said that Kim presented the principles and policy direction for the party and the government related to the defence of the country's sovereignty and national interests. In addition, Kim reportedly presented principles and methods for expanding achievements in science, education and health, as well as overcoming serious flaws in those areas. The KCNA said the meeting will continue for a third day. With rising tensions as a backdrop, South Korea also unveiled a final version of its diplomatic strategy for the Indo-Pacific region on Wednesday. So what was revealed? Well, Kim Jong-un, the uh, head of the National Security Office, unveiled a final report by the presidential office, uh, its first unilateral diplomatic strategy applied to a particular region. The administration has been preparing the strategy since President Yun's summit with U.S. President Joe Biden in May. In November, Yun outlined the broad strokes for his vision during a summit with uh, Southeast Asian nations. Nine key tasks outlined in the strategy include reinforcing non-proliferation and anti-terrorism, expanding the economic security network, strengthening cutting-edge science and technology, and cooperating on climate change and energy security. The top office emphasised that while past administrations' diplomatic plans were limited to the surrounding Northeast Asia region concerning North Korea and economic trade cooperation, the current administration strategy aims to bolster cooperation on issues beyond that region. The strategy also highlighted the principle of engagement, pledging to cooperate with neighbouring China in seeking mutual interest for prosperity and peace in the Indo-Pacific based on international norms and mutual trust and reciprocity. Meanwhile, a recent survey has shown that South Koreans have the most negative view of China among scores of countries surveyed. Can you break down the details of this survey for us? 
Well, The Diplomat, a U.S. news magazine, reported on Saturday that an international research group, which included the Central European Institute of Asian Studies, presented the findings of a survey of 1,364 South Korean adults between uh, April, held between April 11th and June 23rd. Uh, According to that survey, 81% of South Korean respondents said they have negative or very negative sentiments about China, the highest level of the 56 countries surveyed as part of the Sinophone Borderlands project. The figure marks a large gap of about 10 percentage points with Switzerland and Japan, which came in second and third with 72% and 69% respectively. Uh, The diplomats uh, speculated that fine dust from China may have acted as a key factor, saying that the most negative aspect of China in the opinion of South Korean public was China's impact on global climate. We wrap it up there for our news briefing today. Hijin, thank you for those updates. Thank you. Today, our in-depth is an end-of-year weekly economy review special. We decided to bring it forward to today, as we do not have a show this Friday, so we can look back at the past year in the South Korean economy and also look to see what lies ahead next year for the economy, especially as the government projections now all put growth squarely in the 1% range for 2023. And we, of course, uh, cannot do that without the help of our regular expert contributor, economics professor Yang Jun-suk from the Catholic University of Korea. He joins us in the studio now. Professor, hello. It's uh, great to see you, as always. Happy to be here. Let's start with an overall assessment of the Korean economy this year. We started the year with uh, some high hopes, I would say. It looked like the world was coming to terms with the COVID-19 pandemic a potential recovery was on the cards, and perhaps uh, there was some cause for optimism. Then Russia invaded Ukraine, which sent the global economy reeling. China continued with its extreme pandemic lockdowns. And in Korea, we saw the biggest COVID-19 waves to date. That led to high inflation, struggling exports and slowing growth. So, Professor, what did you take away from the state of South Korea's economy this year? What internal or external factors do you think took the biggest tolls? Okay, well, for uh, for the year as a whole, it wasn't bad. Uh, It wasn't great, but it wasn't uh, bad. Uh, We obviously don't have the final numbers in yet, but the estimated growth rate for this year is, uh, according to the government, uh, their projection is 2.5%. Bank of Korea and IMF, 2.6%. And KDI, it's 2.7%. Now, considering that Korea's potential growth rate is right now calculated to be somewhere between 2.0 to 2.4 percent. We're doing somewhat above the potential. Uh, It's not a great year uh, because we're only slightly above the potential growth rate, but still, uh, we're doing better than potential, so it's uh, not too bad. the uh, first year, uh, first half of the year, uh, the GDP growth was helped by increases in exports before being dragged down by trade deficits uh, toward the uh, latter parts of the year. Uh, the uh, second part of the year, exports were not. Uh, did not contribute as much, uh, mainly because of the uh, trade deficit, but Mm. we did have strong consumption from uh, revenge spending from the pandemic, especially in the services. Uh, So those helped the the economy not get too bad. Um, Now, uh, what external factors and internal factors affected the economy? Well, they're mostly similar. Right. Uh, the external factors include high oil prices. That was because of the Ukraine invasion uh, that raised the uh, prices of imports. And that was the main cause of trade deficits toward the uh, latter part of the year. Uh, 
Also, not only oil inflation, but food inflation and other energy sources as well. Again, that was partially because of the Ukraine invasion, partially because of uh, what turned out to be perhaps too optimistic a hope for global recovery, uh, which drove the energy prices up. And then high inflation caused high interest rates. Uh, That's more from the United States than from domestic factors. But because it is the United States, when they raised interest rates, other countries had, including Korea, had to raise their rates as well. And that uh, obviously had big uh, effect on the Korean domestic economy. And of course, there's still after effects from the coronavirus. Uh, Now, if we add some domestic factors on top of this, toward the end of the year, we had some problems with the uh, credit crunch. Uh, It comes, the main reason for that is the crowding out of uh, investment funding because of the uh, large deficit, government deficit that we had in the previous years, as well as uh, the uh, deficit for uh, Korean electricity and power company Kepco, uh, which is basically eating up most of the uh, private funds in the uh, bond market. So that is another potential problem, though it, perhaps it's not as serious now as it was a month ago, but it still remains a matter of concern. Right, as you said, uh, the Seoul's finance ministry recently cut its growth outlook for this year by 0.1 percentage point to 2.5%. That is, as you said, not bad considering all, all everything that's going on, but that's still some way off the 3%. Uh, the government had forecast this time last year. Uh, do you think the South Korean economy will end the year strongly enough to pull off that uh, 2.5% rate? Well, the government made their projection only a, uh, only a week ago, so uh, presumably they had data up to November when they made this uh, projection. And since there's only one month left in terms of data and in terms of... Uh, Calendar date is only a couple of days left now. Sure. Uh, it looks like we'll pretty much make that 2.5% if December numbers were unusually bad, then we, we may miss it by maybe about 0.1 percentage point, but we'll be at or very close to 2.5% growth for this year. Uh, but uh, as you said, at the beginning of the year, we were looking forward to maybe 3%. Uh, so that's so it's a little disappointing considering that we expected more of a uh, bounce back from the pandemic as well as a stronger effect from the revenge spending, not only in Korea, but uh, globally. Uh, but the uh, coronavirus is lasting longer than we thought it would. And also the uh, Russian invasion to the, uh, into the Ukraine did not do any favors either. Okay, so as we said, this year perhaps not as bad as it could have been. However, that leads us to next year now. The government recently revised down its growth outlook for 2023 to 1.6%. That's lower than the Bank of Korea's forecast of 1.7% and 1.8% projected by the Korea Development Institute. Uh, Some other institutions have forecast a growth rate as low as 1.4% as well. If next year's growth is indeed in the 1% range, it will only be the fourth time that South Korea, Asia's uh, fourth largest economy, has grown less than 2%. So, Professor, what do you read into that forecast? What factors will hold back Korea's growth? Okay, well, first we have to remember, as I mentioned before, the Korea's potential growth rate is calculated, depending on who does the calculating, somewhere between 20 to 2.4%. So, Everything, if everything was going normally, we would only ex- uh, we would expect 2.0 to 2.4 percent growth. My personal reading of the uh, studies is that it comes down at the lower end of that scale rather than higher scale. And by virtually all of these studies do agree that by the end of the decade, Korea's potential growth will be less than 2 percent. So that will be our new normal. Mm. Uh, having said that, uh, the uh, problems will be uh, ex- uh, worse this year. Uh, we will go under potential because, well, if you look at the demand side, there's a whole bunch of problems coming uh, down the line. For consumption, because we have high inflation, low growth, 
uncertainty about future, uh, as well as very high uh, household debt coupled with high interest rate, which means high interest rate payments, uh, we will probably see low consumption. Exports, we expect a slowdown in global trade, maybe not a negative term, but still a very much a slowdown. Uh, and usually that is reflected in Korea's trade numbers. Hmm. In terms of value, Korea's trade numbers are going to get worse next year because, well, Korea's exports this year has actually is probably going to be actually an historical high, but that's not because of volume of exports. It's because of global inflation. Co- uh, prices of Korean uh, exports, especially petrochemicals, uh, petroleum products, they have been very high this year because of the global inflation. Mm. We will not get that next year, so exports will not be doing well either. Now, uh, investment. Uh, investment in the last decade or so, it usually follows demand. So uh, the the years that we have high investment are the years when we see high domestic demand or uh, export demand. And as I just said, we're not going to have either of those next year. So investment is likely to be weak as well. Construction is also expected to be weak because of the falling housing prices and the troubles that they're having raising funds in the project project funding market, which relates to the uh, problems in the bond market that we mentioned earlier. Government expenditure, usually it was the uh, last resort, uh, but problem, uh, and we still have a fairly large budget of 635 trillion won coming in next year, mm. but the uh, current government has pledged itself to uh, maintaining uh, the uh, bu- budget soundness, so they may not be as free with government expenditure this year. So in terms of spending, uh, we, we're pretty much gloomy all around. Uh, inflation, it's uh, probably peaked, but it's likely to be higher than the uh, target of 2.0%. Uh, right now, uh, they're expecting somewhere in the 4 to 5% range for uh, foreseeable future, which means the next uh, few months, 5 to 6 months or so. Uh, inflation expectation is lower, uh, but still 4.2%, way above what the government wants or Bank of Korea wants. At 2.0%, uh, so uh, we will have a higher than normal inflation this year as well. Uh, and for unemployment, well, we've been doing fairly well in employment front uh, last year and this year, but those are mostly from temporary jobs, and a lot of these temporary jobs are government financed. So if the government decides to no longer finance these jobs, it's not clear how many jobs will stick around, and we may have some problems with unemployment as well. Right, we'll perhaps get into those employment, uh, possible employment numbers in a bit more detail a bit later. But uh, as you said, South Korea is heading towards, uh, I guess, uh, a growth in the 2% range. Uh, but the only other times that growth has fallen below 2% was uh, following the outbreak of the COVID-19 pandemic in 2020, uh, soon after the 2009 global financial crisis and during the uh, Asian financial crisis in 1998 as well. So these are all exceptional circumstances. Uh, what does this mean then next year, the, the growth forecast of less than 2%? What does that mean for South Korean households? Will people actually feel it? Uh, probably. Whenever we go below, say, about 3% growth, Uh, We tend to feel like we're in a recession, but let me emphasize again, the uh, 2% growth will be our new normal. Mm. Uh, So it won't be that unusual seeing growth rates below 2% toward the end of this decade and next decade. Uh, Having said that, we will probably see uh, no substantial growth in real income uh, if we have uh, low growth rates, um, no uh, substantial increase in uh, full-time good jobs, uh, lackluster stock market, uh, and uh, it's uh, a uh, negative feedback effect where if you have less income, you have less demand. If you have less demand, then you have less production on the supply side. And if you have less production, you have less jobs and less income again. So you have that negative uh, feedback effect that's going to come in. Uh, So again, Uh, It's not going to be a pretty year, uh, but I have to warn that because of the potential growth rate has become so low, this may become the new normal. Sure. Uh, Going back to the inflation, uh, the government forecasts that inflation will decline from this year's 5.1%, but still remain high at 3.5% next year, way above uh, the BOK's target of 2%, as you mentioned. Uh, Falling prices of raw materials and demand are forecast to be key factors. The government has also given a grim outlook on the job market. The number of uh, newly employed people next year predicted 
to stand at around 100,000, precipitously lower than this year's expected 800,000. Those are some worrying numbers, particularly the job situation. Well, uh, the uh, it's uh, the biggest culprit here is probably not only the uh, uh, low uh, potential growth rate, but also a very high interest rate by the uh, Bank of Korea. But Bank of Korea doesn't really have freedom to lower the rates either. Uh, the U.S. is scheduled to continue to raise their interest rate at least until the first half of next year and keep that rate high until at least the end of next year. Uh, that means means the Bank of Korea also probably has to increase their rates to, uh, if not match the U.S. increases one by one, at least not keep the differences in interest rates uh, from expanding too much. So that means Korea will ha- have to raise the rates maybe more moderately than the U.S., but uh, for the first half of next year, and they will have to maintain the uh, high interest rate toward the end of the year. And obviously, uh, that will have problems with uh, consumption and investment. Uh, that means very little job creation. Right. Uh, with the BOK's uh, rate hike decision next year, how high do you think they could go? How much more of a rate hike do we do you expect for next year? Okay, well, uh, if the uh, U.S. raises its rate by, say, about 0.5 uh, percentage points, or if they raise it twice by 0.25 percentage points, I uh, my preference would be uh, Korea follows that with about half that. Uh, so if they raise it by 50 basis points, then we raise it by 25 basis points. If they raise it twice, we raise it once. Uh, we don't necessarily have to keep up one-to-one with the United States, but we do have to follow the same trend. Now, having said that, right now the uh, uh, American analysts are expecting the U.S. interest rate to peak around 5.25 to 5.5 percent. That means an additional 75 to 100 basis point increase. So uh, taking what I just said before into account, that means somewhere between 25 to 50 a basis point increase for Korea. Uh, that would raise, it, raise Korean rates to the uh, high 3% range or low 4% rate. But there's an interesting speculation by some American analysts. The uh, Fed will raise the rates until the interest rate is higher than the inflation rate. Now, if the interest rate is lower than the inflation rate, then at least theoretically, you're earning money or earning purchasing power by borrowing because your borrowing costs are less than your inflation costs. Mm. Uh, so there, uh, some of these analysts are predicting that you have to have uh, the interest rate higher than inflation rate. And since the uh, U.S. inflation rate right now is about 6%, that means further increases in interest rate above the peak of uh, 5.5 to 5.25 to 5.5. Uh, 5. So uh, in that case, we will have more interest rate increases for longer. Uh, hopefully, the uh, U.S. inflation rate will come down maybe faster so they don't have to raise the interest rate as much. But still, this is one possibility that we have to worry about. Yes, uh, all in all, it seems inevitable that the nation is going to have to brace for another difficult year next year. As a final thought then, Professor, if there's any advice or anything you'd want to say to Korea's uh, economic policymakers regarding next year's economy, uh, what would you tell them? Okay, well, we can't do everything. Uh, So it may come down to pick and choose what we want and what we give up. We may have to give up some policy goals. My uh, guess would be we may be forced to give up on uh, government spending, uh, government budget soundness uh, to maintain at least some economic level of economic activity this year. Uh, Perhaps we shouldn't be too scared of it, uh, but uh, we, uh, we have to prioritize and make sure that uh, by trying to pursue too many goals, we don't lose too many. Uh, so pick and choose your target goals very carefully. And uh, for the target goals we choose, uh, make sure that we uh, actually achieve those goals. With that, so we'll leave it there. Professor Yang, as always, we appreciate your analysis. We hope you have a happy new year and we'll see you in 2023. Thank you. Welcome to the Korea 24 Stock and Forex Update. The benchmark Korea Composite Stock Price Index fell 52.34 points, or 2.24% on Wednesday, closing the day at 2,280.45. The tech-heavy Kosdaq also fell, 
losing 11.82 points, or 1.68%, to close the day at 692.37. On the foreign exchange, the local currency strengthened 4.41 against the dollar, ending the day at 1,267.1. You can check Korean stock and forex closings at world.kbs.co.kr. We carry on now to Korea Trending, our daily segment, rounding up some of the other news headlines that have been trending online today. And for that, it's the turn of Walter Lee to join us in the studio to bring us those stories. Walter Lee, it's good to see you. Hello, Jango. It's always good to see you. OK, so what topics do you have for us today? OK, so first, well, we have a shocking uh, update on the case where a taxi driver was murdered in Paju last week. Uh, we'll also learn about the case of a South Korean student who was assaulted by two unidentified men on Christmas Eve in Germany. And finally, we have some exciting news for baseball fans in Jeonju, south of Seoul. OK, so we start with a chilling murder case that has come to light, mm-hmm. possibly a series of murders, in fact. Mm-hmm. Uh, can you tell us more? Yeah, so over the weekend, shockwaves ran through the country as news of a 60-year-old taxi driver's body was found in a closet at a house in Paju City. And what's more appalling is a man in his 30s who allegedly murdered the driver testified to also killing his ex-girlfriend. Now, according to the Ilsan Dongbu police station in Gyeonggi province, the man confessed to the other crime this third. Uh, this Tuesday while being questioned on charges of murdering the driver. The suspect is accused of luring the driver to the house last Tuesday on the promise of giving him settlement money for a minor collision before killing him and hiding his body in the closet. Right, so last week there was this uh, minor traffic collision and it seems the suspect, who was reportedly drunk at the time, Mm -hmm. asked the driver to come with him to his home, saying that he had cash there. Uh, but then murdered him instead and hid his body in that closet. Uh, How was the body found? Well, it was actually found by the man's current girlfriend who reported her discovery to uh, the discovery to the police last Sunday. Now that came several hours after the family of the taxi driver had filed a missing persons report. Yes, the suspect reportedly invited the girlfriend home, knowing, of course, that the body was in the closet. And this was during uh, the Christmas weekend as well. You said he also confessed to killing his Mm -hmm. ex-girlfriend. What do we know about that case? Well, police have deployed divers and helicopters to find the woman's body after the man said he killed his ex in early August and dumped her body at a stream nearby the house. The suspect had continued to live in the residence owned by his former partner after killing her, his current girlfriend, who would visit the place from time to time. Efforts to find the ex-girlfriend's body are expected to take some time, given that it has been nearly five months since the alleged murder was committed and as the areas near the stream had seen heavy rain this summer. Right, it's shocking to think that no one had reported her missing that it, and that he was able to get away with that murder for so long, for several months. Yeah, that's correct. So police also found that the suspect had spent some 70 million won with the victim's credit cards after the murders. That's around 55,000 US dollars. The man claims that he killed the two accidentally, but police believe the murders could have been premeditated. So they are focusing their investigations on that possibility, given the financial gain from both of the murders. Now, a court uh, will deliberate on Wednesday on a request for an arrest warrant for the suspect. Yes, the police are also said to have found a phone of another woman on him as well, and they have not been able to reach this woman, so there could possibly be another victim as well. Mm -hmm. This is a developing case, so we're still waiting for more details, but this is a horrifying case that has shocked the nation. Mm -hmm. Okay, let's leave that there for today and move on to our next story. What do you have for us? Yeah, so police officers in Duisburg, Germany, have launched an investigation after a South Korean student was assaulted by two unidentified men in broad daylight on Christmas Eve. Now, according to Seoul-based Yonhap News Agency on Wednesday, the 29-year-old South Korean, surnamed Ha, was approached by two men at around 1pm last Saturday at a residential district in the city. Now, the two men then lashed out at Ha, calling him quote-unquote disgusting Chinese and vowing to kill all Chinese people. They proceeded to hit the victim in the face and head. Ha called out for help and the attackers fled when the police arrived at the scene after receiving a report from a witness. So this was a racially uh, motivated attack then, which shockingly happened at 
1 p.m. in broad yeah. daylight, as you said. How badly hurt was the student? Well, in an interview with the news agency on Tuesday, Ha said he suffered an injury to his left eye and head after he was punched by the two men while protecting his dog. He said he was walking his dog when the attack took place, adding that he is enraged and that what happened to him was completely unfair. Now, Ha said he hopes the attackers are arrested and punished so that no similar incidents occur in the future, and adding that many South Korean students suffer from such happenings. Ha also claimed that the German police had responded to his case in a lukewarm manner, including failing to chase after the two men despite his request. Well, that's concerning. I understand that the South Korean embassy in Germany has gotten involved as well. Yes, it has. So the embassy said it requested Duisburg and the North Rhine-Westphalia state, which houses the city, to make efforts to swiftly catch the two attackers, while also protesting the police's lax response. Yes, we hope the authorities can confirm whether the police were indeed lax in their response Mm. and that uh, all efforts are being made to catch these attackers. Let's uh, move on to our final story for today. What else has been trending? Right, so the city of Tonju in North Chola province has unveiled plans to build a new 8,000-seat baseball stadium. Now, the city announced on Tuesday that it will begin building the stadium and an athletic field in the first half of next year. Such facilities will be a key part of the sports towns that will be established near Chonju World Cup Stadium. Now, take note that the city doesn't have a facility that can host an official game uh, other than a baseball field inside the multi-purpose Chonju Sports Complex Stadium. It was used by the Sangbangul Raiders until their dissolution in 1999. Now, this field is expected to be demolished in line with a plan to redevelop the plot of land that houses the Chonju Sports Complex Stadium. Okay, and when is construction scheduled to be completed? Uh, The city is aiming to finish construction by 2025. Now, once the ballpark is built, the city plans to actively seek to provide the facility as the second home stadium for the Kia Tigers of the Korean baseball organization. The Tigers currently call Gwangju Metropolitan City their home. This effort comes as Jeonju doesn't have its own baseball team, while it does have professional basketball and football teams. I see, and uh, how much will be spent on building the stadium? A total of 142.1 billion won, including nearly 12 billion won in public funds, will be spent on building the baseball park and athletic field. That's around 110 million and 9 million US dollars, respectively. Now, many Chonju residents are anticipating the completion of the baseball field as the last time the city hosted an official baseball game or official ball game was on October 8th, 1999, when the Sangbangul Raiders faced the LG Twins. Yeah, so baseball will be returning to Chonju, it seems, but that is also quite a hefty bill. 12 yes. billion, uh, 140, sorry, billion one. Uh, that's where we wrap it up for today's career trending. Thank you for those stories, Walter. And I believe this is the last time we're seeing yes. you this year. So we hope you have a great end of the year and see you in 2023. Happy New Year. Next, it's Korea Book Club, our weekly dive into the world of Korean literature. And it is the final Wednesday of the month, which means it's when we look at a current popular or significant work that has not yet been translated to get a better sense of the literary scene in Korea today. And for that, we have joining us on the line now, literary translator Beth Ni Hong. Beth, hello. It's good to talk to you again. Hi, Chano. Good to uh, talk to you again as well. Okay, so what have you brought for us this month? Today, we're diving into 50 People by Jung Serang, published by Chang Di in 2016. Okay, so 50 People by Jung Serang, published in 2016, as you said. So it's a little older than the books that we usually talk about with you on this uh, monthly edition of the club. But this is a novel that's been critically acclaimed, loved by readers in Korea since its publication, and gone through multiple reprints due to popular demand. So it remains a relevant work. So can you tell us more about the premise of this work and what makes it so special? Yeah, um, right off the bat, I just want to say this: uh, the latest reprint was this year, actually, in 2022. Mm. And the main attraction of this novel is that it features a diverse array of characters and situations which reflect contemporary Korean society in a realistic yet empathetic light. Each chapter is narrated by one of some 50 people, 
51 to be exact, who live, work, or have some relationship to a university hospital in a city outside Seoul. They include hospital staff, patients, their family members or friends, and even two non-Korean characters. These stories were first serialized on the publishing house Changbi's blog from January to May 2016, and the book won the Hanguk Ilbo Literary Award in 2017. Right, so episodic in nature, a little like the book we talked about earlier this year, right? Inconvenient Convenience Store by Kim Hoyun, where they tell stories about the people who come to the convenience store, but this is uh, based around the hospital, as you said. Yeah, that's right. Um, well, actually, I found out later the official English title, according to um, the publisher, is Uncanny Convenience Store, ah. or Bukyan Uncanny Jump. Yeah, but um, I think. Yeah, you could translate it as inconvenient as well. So, sure, OK. Yeah. Uh, in the afterwork to this book we're talking about today, uh, 50 People, the author, Chong Serang, says that she hopes that readers can find a character who resembles them or speaks for them. Uh, we obviously don't have time to go through all 50 characters or <laughs> 51, as you said, but perhaps you can tell us about some of the more uh, memorable characters or situations that readers uh, may have resonated strongly with. Yes. Um, so in a really beautifully written brief afterward, the author says that she wanted to write a book without a main character. Instead, she wanted characters to be like pieces of a puzzle that come together to create an interconnected whole. And it's really hard to name any specific stories that strongly resonate because um, there's just such a broad and diverse range of the characters' ages, gender, and life experiences. That being said, there are characters who lose loved ones or have to face mortality. And then there are also others who deal with a host of other hard realities ranging from the extreme to the banal. Many readers have said that they were impressed at the level of both practical and emotional detail in describing each character and situation. And this is something that impressed me as well. And I wasn't surprised to later read that the author drew on years of interviews and encounters with various people in order to write this work. Right, I see. So there is a level of authenticity to the stories because they are drawn or inspired from uh, real people that the author met. Mm -hmm. yeah. So it sounds uh, very compelling. Did any stories resonate with you personally? I actually enjoyed some of the quieter stories uh, in which nothing extraordinary or dramatic was happening. But there'd be this like single reflection or description of an encounter that would just make me stop in my tracks and reflect on my own life. Mm. Uh, for example, one of the most personally memorable chapters for me was about a woman named Kim Eujin who goes to visit an old friend who has recently given birth to a child. It was a really simple story, but it made me reflect on how time renders even the strongest emotions and relationships into ephemera. And I actually tore up a few times reading some chapters, and this is definitely one of them. Wow, so it really worked on an emotional level as well, it seems, for you then. Uh, I understand that the author doesn't shy away from touching on sensitive uh, subjects as well, sensitive social issues such as uh, generational conflict or corruption, unethical business practices, or maybe uh, poor labour rights and gender conflict through some of her stories. Uh, as we said, the book was originally published in 2016, so it's not that long ago, but have those issues survived the test of time, should we say, as we look back at it in 2022? I would definitely say so. Um, even though it was published six years ago for the first time, a lot of the issues raised in this novel seem as fresh and relevant as if it was published this year. Mm. For example, um, generational conflict is an issue that persists to this day. We see this through an older doctor who gets his comeuppance after years of abusive authoritarian behavior, which what um, most Koreans commonly call gondeji, when he clashes with a young intern who later gets his own chapter. Um, and another case, um, Han Kyuik is a university student who loses his older sister due to lethal humidifier sterilizer products, which is based on a real-life case that killed at least 100 people and made headlines around the world. So we still see cases of unethical businesses practice in the headlines. You know, it's not for mm. consumer products than in behaviors of large conglomerates um, like SPC with the uh, most recent example. Um, also, QX University also decides to abolish a majority of its arts and humanities department in favor of more, quote, practical departments suited to the job market. 
this is a trend that also reflects social reality today when young people are under more pressure than ever to study harder and compile specs for the job market. Mm. Uh, we also meet Kang Hanyoung, who runs away using the bride money her public servant father keeps in their apartment veranda after years of being abused by her mentally unstable brother. I guess we don't really need to say too much about this ongoing and endemic issue of corruption in public offices here in South Korea, which is a tale as old as time, unfortunately. <laughs> sure. And yeah, and like Hanyoung, um, there are actually many other women uh, whose direct and indirect experiences of violence, sexism, or patriarchy are told in compelling and subtle ways that vividly reflect the current social climate. In addition, there are also characters who are queer, foreign, and working in stigmatized or difficult occupations, such as a tattoo artist or as a corpse mover. I could keep going on and on, but I can stop here. Right, hopefully some of our listeners who can read Korean can seek out the book uh, and find out for themselves as well, perhaps find their own characters uh, that they can connect with. Uh, let's briefly talk about the author as well. understand that she actually debuted as a science fiction and fantasy writer and maybe best known outside Korea as the writer of the original novel that led to the Netflix series, The School Nurse Files. Uh, can you tell us more? Right. Jung Serang is actually well known for her science fiction works, debuting with Dream, 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 published in the magazine Fantastic in January 2010. She won the 7th Changbi Novel Award in 2013 for a novel called Imankum Kakai. And as we mentioned, the Hanguk Ilbo Literary Award in 2017 for 50 people. Before her debut, she worked as an editor at the publishing houses Minimsa and Munak Dongne. And as you mentioned, her 2015 fantasy novel, Bogon Gyosa Anunyang, School Nurse Anunyang, was made into a Netflix original series released in 2020. As for the author herself, she was born in 1984 in Seoul. Unfortunately, while her works have been translated into many other languages, none have yet to be translated into English. However, she is definitely an author to watch in the years to come, and I predict English translations will be forthcoming. Actually, um, if I didn't have a full-time job, I'd probably take on the challenge myself. So <laughs> if there are any translators out there listening, they can take this as a sign from the universe. Right, yes. Uh, perhaps this uh, review can inspire them. Uh, to take on that challenge. Okay, uh, so that was 50 People by Chong Serang, and that was our pick for Korea Book Club this week. Uh, now, I mentioned uh, Inconvenience Convenience Store, or, sorry, Uncanny Convenience Store, as you said, is the official title, earlier. Uh, we actually wanted to mention that today because uh, books one and two of which we reviewed back in September, recently made the news as it was the best-selling books of this year. Uh, so we thought we would uh, mention that as a way to sort of round off the year, Beth. That's right. Um, so Bulpen and Penijam books one and two combined were the runaway bestsellers of this year with over a million copies sold. So this makes the author Kim Ho-yeon only the third to have sold over a million copies in the 2020s, other than Imie for volumes one and two of Palagutuk Umbekwajam and Son Wonpyeong for Amund. It's been hailed as a remarkable achievement as Bulpen uh, and truly sold based on word of mouth and not celebrity endorsements or flashy marketing. Indeed, and you reviewed it here as well, of course. So you were a great guide to the current literary scene in Korea, uh, really knowing what's popular. So we thank you for that. Uh, finally, what was your personal favorite work of Korean literature that uh, you've read this year? For me, it's Spora Chung's Cursed Bunny because... Um, it was shortlisted not only because it was shortlisted for the International Booker Prize, mm. but because I actually had a chance to meet Bora in person for the Korea Herald's Books podcast. And I just really admired her empathy and humility as a person. And um, if I can ask you, what about you? Did you have any favorite books of the year? <laughs> well, first, uh, Curse Bunny, of course, that was a fantastic book. And of course, we had uh, the connection with the translator as well, Anton Her, who was uh, your predecessor uh, in your seat for us on the club. So it's a nice tribute to him, too. Uh, perhaps I don't read as much as I should do, but uh, if we're looking back at what we've covered on Career Book Club with Barry as well this year, uh, perhaps rediscovering Andoyan's poetry, which was made popular again by the hit series uh, Extraordinary Attorney Wu, I thought that was quite moving. 
I also mm-hmm. enjoyed uh, The Old Wrestler as well, a, a short story by uh, Chun Song Tae. So just uh, some of the highlights from this year, I guess. Anyway, on that note, I think we're going to have to wrap it up. Uh, Beth, it's been a real pleasure to have you with us this year. We hope you have a wonderful new year and we look forward to seeing what treats you bring for us in 2023 as well. Thank you as always and take care. Thank you. See you next year. My name is Yu Tae Pyongyang. I'm a Pansori singer and a member of the National Changgul Company of Korea. And you are now listening to Korea 24. We finish up the show as usual with our closing segment, Morning Edition Preview, where we take a look at some interesting features and reports coming out in tomorrow's newspapers, namely the Korea Times and the Korea Herald. And for that, our staff editor, Richard Larkin, is back with us in the studio to tell us more about these stories. Richard, hello. It's uh, good to see you. Good to see you too. Okay, so where are we heading to first? Well, the first article is about an exciting opportunity for young students in Seoul next year. Yu Min Shik's article in the national section of the Korea Herald explains that elementary and middle school students in Seoul will be able to take after-school breakdancing classes. Yes, so breakdancing, or breaking as practitioners of the dance prefer to call it, has been uh, very popular in South Korea in the past couple of decades. In fact, South Korea was a global powerhouse in uh, breaking as well. Mm. And and more recently, uh, it's become popular once again here locally because of uh, some survival dance TV programs. Yeah, and I think that is one of the reasons why this project is starting next year. There is another big reason, but I will talk more about that later. This project was announced by the Seoul Metropolitan Office of Education earlier today. They will work with the Career Breaking Federation to create classes for students. For those who may not know, the KBF is the administrative body of breakdancing events and competitions in South Korea. The article mentions that the KBF will organize education courses and teaching materials while fostering teachers for the classes. Each school can apply for lessons via the education office, so I'm curious how many will actually sign up. Indeed. Uh, You said there was another reason why this project is starting next year. What is it? Well, it seems like breakdancing has become so popular around the world that it will become an official Olympic sport. Mm. So it will be seen at the 2024 Summer Games in Paris and at the 19th Asian Games in Hangzhou, China next year. So to me, it looks like the government is hoping that South Korea becomes competitive in the sport. I'm sure it will be good for the children's health as well. Even education office officials said that breakdancing will be beneficial for the physical well-being of the students and will revitalise physical education in school. Yes, and not only that, it'll get them to uh, appreciate music and also another way to express themselves through dance as well. Mm-hmm. So it sounds like it's going to be an exciting programme, one I think uh, students will really enjoy as well. OK, let's uh, move on to our next story. What do you have for us? Park Hansel's article in the Entertainment and Arts section of the Korea Times tells us about an interesting exhibition that is being held at Beck Art Seoul until January 18th. It's called When the Spring Wind Blows and has on display 30 rare historic photographs of mid-20th century Korea. Okay, so can you tell us uh, more about these photos and what will be on display? Well, they specifically show Korean women in the 1950s and 60s. The late Han Young-soo The photographer who took the photos between 1956 and 1963 tried to capture people who found ways to live on following the Korean War. Mm. So instead of showing just the destruction as a result of the war, he focused on everyday humanism. It's something that you don't really see often during that period, so it's a cool insight into people's lives at the time. The article includes a few photos that will be on display at the exhibition. Okay, so can you uh, possibly uh, describe a couple of the photos to our listeners? Sure. The photos are interesting because there's a mix of women wearing the traditional Korean handbook clothing, while others are wearing more Western styles of outfits. Mm. The photos do really show people just living their normal lives, and you're able to see the cars of the time as well, and some of the buildings. So it's quite interesting. Yeah, it's an interesting period uh, after the Korean War and before all the uh, modern development, in between mm. that period, really. So it's an interesting snapshot of the times, I'm sure. Yes. OK, we'll wrap it up there for Morning Edition Preview. Thank you for those stories, and we'll see you next time. Thank you. And that's where we wrap up our show for today. Thank you for staying with us. We'll be back same time tomorrow. 
So please do join us again then for more news, views and reviews from Korea. Until then, we hope you have a great day. I've been your host, Kwon Jang-ho, and thank you as always for listening. Goodbye.